have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of thy grace and mercy orderest all things according to thy sovereign wisdom, and dost make all things work together for good to them that love thee, to them who are the called according to thy purpose, make us ever mindful of thy wisdom. Make us ever mindful, O Lord, that all things work not to our frustration, but to our joy and our fulfillment in thee. We thank thee, our Father, that thou art God, that thou art he who doth love us, who has given thine only begotten Son to die for us, that we might live, and having done so much for us, will do yet more and care for us. Our God, we thank thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us unite in hymn number 133, O for a thousand tongues to sing. Our scripture lesson is from Genesis 9, verses 12 through 17. Genesis 9, verses 12 through 17. God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generation. I do set my bow in, in the cloud, and it shall be a, for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring the cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Our subject today is the doctrine of the harmony of interest. The harmony of interest. This is the central doctrine of the free market economy. It has been very ably expounded by such economists as Ludwig von Mises. It is important for us to understand this doctrine because, first of all, a free market economy is impossible without this doctrine. And second, because this doctrine is impossible without a biblical faith. Let us turn, first of all, to what von Mises has to say concerning this concept. 
He speaks of, and I quote, the theorem of the harmony of the rightly understood interests of all members of the market society and the fact that it rests on, first, the preservation of the social division of labor, the system that multiplies the productivity of human efforts, and, second, that in the market society, consumers' demands ultimately direct all production activities, unquote. What von Mises is saying in these words, which sum up the economic view of the harmony of interest, is that in society all groups need one another. That no one group can in the long run flourish without the other. That capital and labor, instead of being in conflict, supplement one another and need one another. There can be no work if there is no capital to develop and further the opportunity for work. There can be no society without a diversification. If you eliminate this diversification and the harmony of the diverse groups, you reduce society progressively to more and more a primitive level. It is a primitive society when men must do everything for themselves. It is only as people recognize that they are dependent on others and must work harmoniously with others that diversification enters in and people live in harmony, recognizing that this diversity and this diversification, this specialization, is what brings about economic progress. The more progress you have, the more specialization, the more diversification you have. When you intervene to destroy that harmony of interests, you progressively reduce society to more and more a primitive level economically. This is why in socialist and communist economies, there is a progressive regression every year to a more primitive level. This is inescapable. The alternative to the doctrine of the harmony of interests is the conflict of interests. Now, von Mises has commented on the idea of an irreconcilable conflict very tellingly. <clears throat> and he says, and I quote, such is the almost universally accepted social philosophy of our age. It was not created by Marx, although it owes its popularity mainly to the writings of Marx and the Marxians. It is today endorsed not only by the Marxians, but no less by those, most of those parties who emphatically declare their anti-Marxism and pay lip service to free enterprise. It is the official social philosophy of Roman Catholicism through various papal encyclicals as well as of, as of Anglo-Catholicism. It is supported by many eminent champions of the various Protestant denominations and of the Oriental Orthodox Church. It is an essential part of the teachings of Italian fascism and of German Nazism, 
and of all varieties of interventionist doctrines, that is, of welfare economics. It is the ideology of the social politique of the Hohenzollerns in Germany and of the French royalists aiming at the restoration of the Bourbon-Orleans House and of the New Deal of President Roosevelt and all that followed and of the nationalists of Asia and Latin America. The antagonisms between these parties and factions refer to accidental issues such as religious dogma, constitutional institutions, foreign policy. And first of all, to the characteristic features of the social system that is to be substituted for capitalism. But they all agree in the fundamental thesis that the very existence of the capitalist system harms the vital interests of the immense majority of workers, artisans, and small farmers. And they all ask in the name of social justice for the abolition of capitalism, unquote. Von Mises is right. Virtually every religious and political group in the world today espouses the theory of the conflict of interest or the theory of class struggle. It assumes that the various elements of society, consumer and producer, worker and capitalist, farmer and city people are all in conflict. Therefore, the state is necessary as the arbitrator in the conflict, the socialist state. Now, this is an economic theory, but its roots are metaphysical and religious. It is not an accident that the theory of conflict of interest is well-nigh universal in the world today. Its prevalence is due to the fact that in 1859 a book came out written by Charles Darwin on the origin of species. The theory of evolution is a biological statement of the conflict of interest theory. This is why the minute it was written, Karl Marx, who was a nobody up to this point, having just a handful of followers, wrote to Engels, and Engels wrote back to him, we've made it. The minute it was seen as biological and therefore scientifically true, they knew that it was inevitable that everyone, including those who nominally opposed communism, would pick up the conflict of interest theory. Today, this is basic to every party. The Republicans believe it. The Democrats believe it. The American Party and Schmidt, their platform has in it the conflict of interest idea. They're all socialists. Some are radical socialists and some are very conservative socialists. All the churches affirm it virtually. And it is because the ideas of Darwin have infiltrated into every circle. According to Darwin and to the theory of evolution, all species are struggling one against the other to survive. 
It's the survival of the fittest. This is a conflict of interest. It means that every species is fighting, waging war against every other species to survive. So that the whole of the earth is permeated from the amoeba on up through man with a conflict of interest. If Marx had never been born, Darwin's theory would have created Marxism. It would have created Nazism. It would have created its New Deal and every other kind of socialist philosophy. You had this in the ancient world, of course, in paganism, and there it was based on dialecticism, that the world was made up of two mutually exclusive warring elements, mind versus matter, ideas versus brute reality, and so on, various forms of the dialectic. And of course, in Hegel and Marx, you also had revived the ancient pagan dialectic. So from two sides, the biological and the philosophical, the whole of the modern world has been saturated with the idea that there is inescapable conflict written into the nature of things, metaphysically, biologically, socially, politically, in every way. It is impossible to go through the public schools today or to sit in churches without absorbing the idea of the conflict of interest. It saturates even those who oppose communism. A good deal of the John Birch philosophy and their idea of the insiders and so on is based on the idea of the conflict of interest, that it's an inescapable thing. For the Bible, however, reality is very different. God is uncreated being, and the rest of reality is created being. There is no necessary conflict between God and creation. The conflict which has come about in the world of created beings is moral, not metaphysical. It is a moral rebellion against God. All things were created good by God, and conflict, therefore, is unnatural. It is a violation of man's being. It is a deformation of man. It is a torturing of the self. Conflict is man's moral choice. It is the moral choice which tears him apart and frustrates him and dooms him to defeat. This is why every group that believes in the conflict of interest as basic to reality as the key to politics or economics or what have you, is doomed to defeat. It is waging war against reality, against the way God created heaven and earth. Conflict, however, is man's moral choice. 
but it is a suicidal choice. As Proverbs 8.36 says, He that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Now the doctrine of the conflict of interest is all around us. It has saturated our everyday life. Every time we turn around, we have this idea of the conflict of interest because our thinking has become dialectical and evolutionary, and therefore we assume that everything is at war with everything else. To give you a very simple illustration of how we see it, there's so much talk about the war between the sexes. In fact, there's a very bad movie out with that title, derived from service. Now, the basic idea of the war between the sexes is Manichaean. And Manichaeanism, an ancient form of paganism, dialecticism, dualism, held that reality being divided into two hostile, warring elements Male and female represented different sides of this conflict. Now, through the centuries, there have been different interpretations of which is which. There have been times, as for example among Mohammedans, when, where very commonly men are held to be the principle of good and women to be the principle of evil. And in a great deal of Muslim thinking, women are actually held to be the source of all evil and corruption in the world. This kind of thinking is very often infiltrated Western thought. On the other hand, the feminists of the last century reversed the idea of the conflict and they said men are the nasty creatures and women are the principle of virtue and holiness and truth and everything that's good. This is why a good many of the feminists of the last century said if God is good, God has to be a sheep. Now, of course, this idea of the conflict of interest is ridiculous. It assumes that husband and wife are inescapably in conflict, male and female are inescapably in conflict, Whereas, in terms of God's creative purpose, they are in harmony. And if they are out of harmony, they are both waging war not only against one another, but against themselves. They are being suicidal when they are not in harmony. for the believer, he is back on trust. He has found his place in the universal harmony of interest, in peace with God. And therefore, he has a growing peace with himself, and he establishes peace because he creates a new order under God. Now, to give you another idea of how the conflict of interest idea has infected us, take prayer. 
so often people when they pray act as though now here's God up here and I want this and he doesn't want me to have it and I've just got to nag him and worry it out of him. And that's wrong. Because the more we grow in grace, the more we are in harmony with God. And the minute we are saved, it means that the basic aspect of our being is in harmony with God. So we approach God in prayer with faith in that harmony, and we pray in terms of a belief in that harmony. Now, because we're not perfectly sanctified, sometimes we're not fully aware of what furthers that harmony. But we should pray always in terms of that harmony of interest. That God wants what is best for us. And we should pray in terms of that assurance. The harmony between ourselves and God in Jesus Christ. The fall of man brought about a moral conflict with God. Man came to believe, tempted by Satan, that the only way he could find blessing was to wage war against God. Yea, hath God said, the only way you're going to get something is to fight God. This was the temptation of Satan. It was the philosophy of the conflict of interest. Satan propounded it. Satan believes in it. So that whenever we find the doctrine of the conflict of interest, it is satanic. It was first propounded by Satan. Now, when God brought about judgment on the world before the flood, when he made his covenant of peace with Noah, he reaffirmed the harmony of interests. He told Noah that he set the rainbow in the clouds to be seen by man as a reminder of the covenant of peace. I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. Now this is the key to this passage. It's the key to this covenant. God says, I have established the rainbow as a reminder of the peace that exists between me and all living creatures from the smallest insect to man. I am not metaphysically at war. You may morally rebel against me, but I cause my rain to fall upon the just and the unjust. I have created a world in which all men can live potentially in harmony with one another and with me. If they choose, the conflict of interest, therefore, is not my doing. It is not my will for the world. 
so that every time you see that rainbow, you are reminded that the fact about reality is not that it is a dog-eat-dog world with everyone at everyone's throat, nor every creature from the amoeba to man struggling against the other. If I don't kill you, I won't survive. No, it's a harmony of interests. And we will not have any kind of decent society until we get back to our belief that God has established a harmony of interests. You will have no real conservationism, for example, unless you have it. The Sierra Club and other conservationist groups claim to be in favor of conservation. In their insane way, they are. But they basically believe in a conflict of interest. So if they're for, say, preserving certain species of animals, they are for preserving them at the price of man. That assumes a conflict of interest. For example, right now, Pepperdine College or University has a problem in its new Malibu uh, uh, campus. The students, when they leave, have to cross as soon as it opens, which I believe is any day now, or has opened, they have to cross the Pacific Coast Highway to get into the opposite lane of traffic to come back to Los Angeles or Santa Monica or wherever they're headed for. Now, how can you go across that traffic on a freeway? It's next to impossible. You need a stoplight. But, the conservationists say, if you have a stoplight there, why, the cars being backed up will create fumes, and this will destroy the natural habitat of certain animals. Well, of course, you're going to have a bigger backup if there's no stoplight for them to get through. Now, the only way that Pepperdine can eliminate this problem is to have an ecological study that will cost thirty to fifty thousand dollars to prove that they need a traffic light there. And meanwhile, one or two students may get killed. Every time someone thus far has been going across that Pacific Coast Highway traffic, it's been a mere accident type of thing. Now what's the presupposition there? Man is expendable, but some sparrows that may be located near that intersection are not. The presupposition is a conflict of interest. And this is why these conservationists are properly called eco-freaks. They believe in a conflict of interest, and they've chosen animals and birds against man. And this is nonsense. But whenever you affirm the conflict of interest, you're actually saying somebody's going to be killed and I'm going to decide who's going to be killed by opting for one or the other. 
which is exactly what people are doing. It isn't conservationism. It's planned genocide of some sort or another. You're going to eliminate somebody. And this is how your thinking will always be if you begin with a conflict of interest. And you cannot have any belief in a harmony of interests. It is rootless unless you begin with a faith in Scripture. Unless you take seriously whenever you see a rainbow what it means. That God has said there is a harmony between himself and every living creature. That he sends his reign upon the just and the unjust. And if there is any problem, it's because man has willfully, suicidally chosen a conflict of interest. But it's a conflict of interest that is taught in Sunday school today. Pick up Sunday school literature. We saw last week that people have a false moral antithesis between the capitalist and the worker, or between this group and that group, and Sunday school literature today is saturated with that conflict of interest idea. A false antithesis, not the true antithesis. This is why, too, today, the idea of free enterprise and a free economy is faltering and failing. In the past week, I had a letter from Gary Norris, and he described the experience he and Sharon had at one very prominent college or one of the other speakers was one of the best-known conservative thinkers in the country. And the message was shocking. It was such a thorough sellout. But it was no surprise. Some of us had seen this years before. Why? Because the man's thinking has as its underpinning not a biblical faith, but a thoroughly modern evolutionary perspective. As a result, his belief in the free market was rootless. And as he faces pressure progressively on campuses, what happens is that the basic faith, the operating premise of an evolutionary struggle, of a conflict of interest, comes out and he winds up before long agreeing with his most radical critics and saying well you don't understand what I really mean and what I really said there's no difference between us not only is there a conflict of interest basic to the modern mentality but it is a conflict of interest which enters into the family life 
with the assumption that not only is there a war between the sexes, but there is a war between the generations. So what do the youth assume? They grow up with the idea that at a certain point it's all out war against their parents or they're not going to be able to develop properly. They have to assert themselves. Warfare is the name of the game. This is why scripture is emphatic. This is the way of death. It is destructive of any group that adopts it. For as St. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 21 and 22, that the sovereign God is working for the glorious liberty of all creation. That the very creatures around us the dirt beneath our feet all look forward to the deliverance of the sons of God, to their freedom in Christ, their recognition of the basic harmony of interests and the development of a society and a new creation in this world in terms of the harmony of interests and its fulfillment in the world to come, when all things find their total harmony of interests in Christ. A man who believes in the word of God, who believes that God created all things very good, and that God with Noah reestablished this covenant of peace with every living creature, will not be a statist or a socialist believing in the necessity of conflict. That will be one who lives in terms of the glorious liberty of the sons of God, recognizing that God has created him to live in harmony with the world around him, with his husband, with his wife, her husband, with their children, with one another. And the more people are established again in the Lord, the more their harmony will flourish. Thus the doctrine of the harmony of interest, if limited to the marketplace, will perish because it is ruthless. The doctrine must be grounded again in its source, in the sovereign predestinating God, in order for it to flourish and for a free society to prosper. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of thy grace and mercy has created all things and established in all things of glorious harmony, we thank thee that in Jesus Christ thou hast reestablished us in that harmony. Teach us, therefore, to work and to labor and to pray in that faith, knowing our God with thou art at peace with us, and thou hast summoned us to come in faith and in confidence, knowing that it is not thy purpose to frustrate us or to mock us. Enable us, O Lord, to grow in terms of thy purpose, 
that we may establish that harmony in our lives, in our work, in our home, and upon the face of this earth. Bless us to this purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Are there any questions now? Yes. Very perceptive question. The, the question was, is the dispensational point of view a belief in the conflict of interest with its idea of various dispensations and eras in the history of the world. Yes, there is a great deal of the conflict of interest idea there. First of all, in their gap theory, the dispensationists assert that there are countless worlds or countless ages before the creation of Adam in which one creation after another was wiped out because the various creatures were in total conflict with man. Now, it rests this on a somewhat Manichaean premise. It tends to regard that which is spiritual as holy and that which is material as evil. For as, in terms of scripture, Satan is totally spiritual and yet evil. Holiness is not limited to the spiritual. It is properly an attribute under God of both the material and the spiritual. But both in rebellion against God become sinful. Now, that kind of thinking undergirds a great deal of dispensationalism. Some of the basic thinkers of the dispensational school are semi-Manichaean. So naturally, they're going to see various dispensations which become progressively more and more spiritual because history is moving towards a spiritual goal, supposedly. And this is why they uh, eliminate certain portions of Scripture as belonging to a past era and the progress of history you see is towards a spiritual goal rather than a godly goal yes the doctrine of election is an assertion that God is totally in control and therefore everything works to a glorious purpose. Now, I think you mean rather the doctrine of reprobation. Now, that some are reprobate. Is that what you mean? How does that... Yes. Double uh, election. Election to... Uh, Redemption and election to reprobation. Now, 
the uh, doctrine of reprobation does not assert a conflict of interest. What it does say is that there is a moral refusal by some, by the eternal predestination of God, to accept God's order. The doctrine of the conflict of interest says it is metaphysical rather than moral, that it is basic to being rather than a moral decision. Now, even in terms of the fact that some are eternally reprobate, and this is what they want, this is basic to their moral nature, it still serves a purpose in that because of this confrontation, the basic issues are refined and we see progressively where the truth lies. Now, let me illustrate historically. Before World War I, the United States was so far gone into the acceptance of socialism, it was just a question of time before this country would become a thoroughly Marxist-type communist society. Now, that's hard for us to believe because we tend to think anything that was 60 and 70 years ago was very good. Naturally, uh, we assume the past is better. That's the vice of ours today. But the reality is the thinking in the schools, in the newspapers and all, was very heavily dominated by a leftist orientation. The major editors across the country were far more to the left before World War I than they have been since. Now that may come as a surprise, but when you go back and see the number of out-and-out Marxists that from the 1850s to about 1914 on were major editors in the major centers of this country of startling. Some of you may remember the name of Arthur Brisbane. Now, Brisbane was very, very far to the left before World War I. In fact, his publisher, Hearst, was a socialist in those days. Now, what World War I did was to produce Bolshevism. When it first came out, and for years I had it, and I've lost it in the process of moving, I think I've inadvertently thrown it out, was the San Francisco Examiner when the Bolsheviks took power. It was in the headlines with an editorial welcoming it. In those days, it was hard to get people opposed to it. It was only when the Bolsheviks started executing right and left that they began to shock the Western world into waking up. So what happened by the fact of that uh, reprobate element coming forth? Epistemological self-consciousness. In other words, people began to awake to what is it that I really should believe? And what these people say, a conflict of interest? No, you, be, 
began to have some rethinking of these basic issues. Von Bauerk and von Mises had nobody listening to them before. They began to have a few people listen to them. And you began to have presuppositionalist Christian philosophy, of which school I'm a member, which he didn't have before. So it was like uh, smelling salt. <laughs> That's been the work of the reprobate to awaken people to the truth. So God has made it work together for good as he makes all things work together for good. Romans 8.28 is perhaps the greatest single statement of the harmony of interest that you can uh, think of. Any other questions? We have time for... Yes. I didn't get that. Well, that's a geographical question, but I think it's well located, and that isn't a problem because it's accessible. Students can go to a school, which is fine. That's no problem. Now, when Stanford was established, it was much further out from the Bay Area. It was called the farm because that was farming country. As a matter of fact, today, more and more schools are going out of an urban area so that they can have a harmony and an ability to create an intellectual atmosphere that isn't saturated with the impact of a city which will do more educating sometimes than the uh, school can do. Yes, the second. Yes. Now, Puritanism wasn't perfect. There are aspects of it which I wouldn't agree with, but I think it was a very great philosophy, and it definitely did believe, on the whole, in a harmony of interests. Uh, it wasn't altogether consistent, and you can find Puritan thinkers who didn't, but it's certainly far superior to anything we have today. What you have in the churches today, uh, I'd say the churches really are much further down the road than the schools are. They have so far departed from the truth, and it's a greater offense than them who should be propagating it that their advocacy of the doctrine of conflict interest really makes that of other areas of life look pale by comparison. Yes, you had a question. Mm -hmm. 
It goes deeper than that. Gary Allen's book, for example, Non-Derecaught Conspiracy, assumes throughout a conflict of interest, as do most of his writings. This is why the L.A. Free Press, which is a new leftist periodical, gave it a very fine review. In fact, they're very happy with uh, a great deal of their findings in the birth society of late. And The Realist, which is edited by Paul Krasner and is one of the most far-out new leftist pornographic-type uh, publications in this country, one of the most radical, has come out very emphatically in favor of some of the things the Birth Society is putting out, and it quotes American opinion increasingly. Why? Because it has found there the same philosophy it advocates a conflict of interest. Now, this is very dangerous, and it is radically destructive of conservatism. In fact, once you've adopted it, you're no longer a conservative. You're a radical. And most conservatives today are no longer conservatives, although they don't know it. They've bought the conflict of interest idea. We are really... Uh, running over time, so we'll have to uh, terminate questions because we do have a couple of announcements. First of all, remember next Sunday, the 24th, uh, when the luncheon planned by the Calcedon Guild right after our morning uh, worship will be held at the home of Crowan West Hamilton at 2169 Mandeville Canyon. It's not far away. It's easy to get to. So you are all invited, and please plan to come next Sunday, the 24th. Then there are announcement sheets in the back for the Institute of Applied Christianity, which begins its series of meetings this Thursday night, and I shall be conducting the first seminar. And also for the economic seminar with Dr. Hans Senholz at Knox Berry Farm on October the 14th, Saturday. And this will be held from 2 to 9 p.m. and will be a dinner meeting. Let us bow our heads now for the benediction. And now go in peace, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Bless you and keep you guide and protect you, this day and always. Amen.